Let's turn with me to the book of Ephesians as we continue to study that book. We're going to be looking at verses 5 and 6 of chapter 1 today. So Ephesians chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Before we do that, let's go again to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help with it. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to your holy word, we pray that you would help us to remember, that you would show us that these are the words of a holy God given to a people set apart from the foundations of the earth, that these aren't just merely anything that we are reading, but these are your words. They are eternal. So Lord, we pray that you would use them to change us. That you would open our hearts and our minds to understand them. That we would see them and that we would be compelled to obey. That we would understand them so that we might lift up high your name. And we pray this. In your name, amen. So in our passage today, we're going to be dealing with the theological doctrine of adoption. And this concept of adoption is a biblical one, of course, but it's not just a theological construct, right? We see it in the world all around us. It's something that we see in many of the families that we know and friends and family have directed ties to adoption, whether they're maybe adopted themselves or they have adopted children of their own. Being in the public school as a teacher, I see uh, adoption and foster care quite a bit, and it's really an awesome thing to see how a child can be changed through just having the God-ordained structure of marriage and family around them, something that they had not been afforded that po- up to that point in their life, and just having some kind of structure can just really change them. There's many stories that could be told concerning adoption and children and, and families and how they've been changed through that process. And the, But the picture that we have here on earth that we see so many times is just a small picture of what has gone on throughout history with the people of God. Because as you guys looked at last week, God from the foundation of the earth has chosen a people for Himself. Not only has He chosen a people for Himself, but through belief in His Son, He has given those people the right to be called children of God. And so today we're going to consider, consider this topic of adoption from a biblical standpoint. Paul speaks of this and continues as he, or Paul speaks of adoption as he continues to kind of lay out God's plan of redemption for his people as we see here in the first couple of chapters in the book of Ephesians. And so as we consider these two verses, I want to look at three main ideas. First, that our adoption is predestined in Jesus. Second, that our adoption is set in His will. And then thirdly, our adoption demands our praise. So with that, let's look together at the text. Ephesians 
chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in our blessed us in the beloved. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So let's look again at the context here. Last week you guys looked at how God has chosen a people for himself from the foundation of the world and that that choosing is in Jesus Christ. Today we're going to look more deeply at that concept and qualify it a little bit that his choosing of us wasn't just a choice for no good reason, but the choice that God, the, the choice that God made of us brings with it a particular set of benefits. And those benefits can be qualified under this idea of adoption, which is something that he's orchestrated from the beginning of time, that he would have a people for himself and that those people would be called children of God. And I think it bears noting as well as we deal with the concept of predestination here in this uh passage that this idea of predestination is a very biblical idea. I once had someone say to me, they uh, they knew that, actually they didn't know that I was uh, a reformed believer at the time, and they were just maybe trying to drum up support for their own beliefs and said, that word predestined is only found a few times in the Bible. They're right. I think it's five times in the New Testament. I don't know why there's such a fuss about it. Those Calvinists just need to read their Bibles. Well, I asked them to count the number of times that the word Trinity was in their Bible and that I would wait. Or how many times the virgin birth is mentioned explicitly in the Bible. It's it's three. The number of times something is mentioned explicitly in the Bible doesn't mean that we should, you know, it's like a stack and the things that's mentioned the most, we believe the most, and the things that are mentioned the least, we believe the least. That's not how... God's word works. The smallest thing that God tells us is absolutely true, and we are absolutely in submission to it. But the idea that God has predestined someone or some group for his self is all throughout the scriptures, even though that specific word is only mentioned a handful of times. But there are literally hundreds and hundreds of references to divine sovereignty and specifically the Lord's sovereignty to save whomever he will. And so when we come to this, I want to be careful because this passage is also found in the Bibles of those who do not believe in the biblical concept of predestination. That is to say, I want to be fair to the opposing view, yet I want to be faithful to the text here. Sure that Lars started along you that along started you along that path last week, and so we'll have ample opportunity to talk about it again as we move through this book. We really don't get out of it until we get out of the second chapter, and then even then we continue to dip back into it all throughout the rest of the book. But I want to be careful. The writers of the Westminster Confession of Faith really took pains to make sure that we were careful when it came to this doctrine, and they said this. 
concerning the doctrine of predestination. They said the doctrine of this high mystery of predestination is to be handled with special prudence and care that men attending to the will of will of God revealed in his word and yielding obedience thereunto may from the certainty of their effectual vocation be assured of their eternal election. So this doctrine so shall this doctrine afford matter of praise reverence and admiration of God and of humility, diligence and abundant consolation to all that sincerely obey the gospel. That is to say that we don't speak of this idly. We speak of this in order to give those in Christ assurance of their salvation and that they have a place in God's family. And that brings us to the first point, our adoption is predestined in Jesus. Look again at verse 5. He predestined us for the adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. Another story that I have concerning this idea of predestination, once I was a, when I was doing youth ministry full time, I was discussing we were going through a certain passages and we were discussing the concept of man's state and sin and how man is totally dependent upon God to change his heart and how God was in complete control of all of this. Just basically reading through passages like these in Ephesians 1 and 2 and others. All reasoning from Scripture. The room was following along. Everything was going great. And a kid raises their hand and they say, isn't this just the old argument about predestination? And as soon as that was said, the room polarized. People took sides, whereas before we were just reading Scripture. But now all of a sudden we were debating something that was just not found in the Bible at all. It was really strange. So we have to take great care when we come to God's Word that we don't allow our experiences to inform God's Word. God's Word does not need to be informed at all by us. Rather, God's Word informs and directs our experiences. All the way back to the Garden of, to the Garden of Eden with Eve's decision to eat the fruit because it was good to make one wise, humanity has battled with the idea that there is a God and that we want to be Him. The reality is, and the overwhelming biblical idea is that God is in control. According to his eternal will, he has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. This includes my life here on this earth and includes my life and your life everlasting. The word predestination here literally means to plan out beforehand with regards to our life, specifically in the context here, our salvation. There are many places in the scripture where this idea is prevalent, how God has set aside a people from him, for himself. We've spent a lot of time in the Old Testament over the last several years. We've seen this just littered throughout, right? That God has a people for himself, that he is delivering those people, and that he is literally moving mountains to make that happen, and that he has a plan to send his son to redeem those people that he has chosen. This should be a comforting idea to us, brothers and sisters in Christ. Many folks that I've talked to over the course of my life as a Christian that have finally come to this conclusion from their reading of the Scripture, they will say statements like, 
This is the most freeing thing that I've ever believed in my life in Christ. The idea that your creator has created you, has laid out your life plan, and has, that should be of great comfort to us, particularly those of us who believe in Christ. There's immense comfort to be had when you realize that you are not God and that the real God is going to take care of you and that he has a plan and that no matter what you do, you cannot thwart his plan. He doesn't watch your life and be like, ooh, I need to change something now. He is not thwarted by us who are here today and gone tomorrow. He is never surprised by you yet continues to love you anyway. So what does he predestine us to? Well, he's predestined us to adoption. In the Roman culture that Paul was writing in, this idea of adoption was a very strict legal process because of all of the, the, the rules of possession and ownership and property. When a father wanted to adopt a son or a daughter, he had to do so three times in order to make it legally binding. The idea was that the, the natural father, if they were around, would, would sell the son to the adopted father. And that the son would then be allowed three opportunities to return back to their natural father before that, that uh, agreement would be legally binding. And then upon that legal agreement, the adoptive son was given every right that the natural children had. They were called a son of the adopted father. They were given the name of the adopted father. There was no distinction made between a natural child and the adopted child. They were all children of the father, and that brought along certain rights and privileges of having that name. It's a similar idea with those we know that have adopted children. They've never considered any kind of divide that exists between their natural children and their adoptive children. The folks that I know that have gone through this process, they do not make distinctions between any of their kids any more than I make distinctions between any of mine, and all of mine are natural. They're just all our children. There isn't one that is more mine than another, just like they would say there's no one of theirs that is more theirs than another. Our Heavenly Father has predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. Understand what that means. Jesus, the Son of God, is the only begotten Son of the Father. Yet, because of His death and resurrection, I am called a child of God. And I have the rights and the privileges of a child. Not only are we given the rights and privileges of a son or daughter of God, but we are now called by his name. We talked about this idea on Wednesday night as we have been going through the Ten Commandments, what it means to take the Lord's name in vain, and what we sh- what that commandment requires of us, holding up the name of God. He claims us as his own. We wear his name. And because of that, we can pray things like, Deliver us from evil. And he hears us. And he wants to answer those. And he can. Give us this day our daily bread. And we pray to one that is not just merely capable, but he controls all the things. 
He hears those prayers and He answers them. Just like I would hear that request from my own child and give to them whatever they would have need of. We see this drawn out a little bit further as we look throughout the rest of the New Testament. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8 as we look at a passage there. Romans 8, 12 through 15. This idea of sharing an inheritance with Christ is a great chapter for understanding the fullness of that. Romans 8, verses 12 through 15. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not not to the flesh, to, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you have you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. We, who are His, are blessed with every spiritual blessing through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We just read in this passage who leads us. We have received this Spirit as adoption as sons. And it's because of that that we cry out to God the Father, Abba, Father, like a newborn baby who looks at their dad and says, Dada. That is exactly what's going on here. Sometimes in homes where older children have been adopted, it's a difficult transition for the child oftentimes. Because, well, they had to get used to the idea of being someone's child. Like in a very real way, not just in a biological way, but being someone's child who's been loved and accepted and having things because their parents have things. Which is a really big deal. Sometimes it takes an adopted child a while to begin using terms like an, of an endearment, like mom and dad. Because these are terms that we reserve for very special people in our lives. And the people that were that for them, they're not being able to call them for various reasons. And so sometimes, especially for older children, it takes a while. If you think about the life of a typical foster child or adopted child, some are literally running from death and despair. And the thought of someone loving them and caring for them, like was intended, is almost foreign to them. And they have to have a complete change of thinking, which can take years sometimes for them to finally accept it. It's very similar to us in Christ. Us with our Heavenly Father. But there's a big difference for us, brothers and sisters in Christ. That change that needs to take place. That change that can cause me to call out to Him, Father, is something that He's already done in us. The Spirit of God causes us to cry out to our Father in Heaven. 
And we even read that the Spirit of God even intercedes with our spirit to continue to remind us that we are indeed His. And now that we're, because we are called children of God, we are also called joint heirs with the only begotten Son of God the Father. And that brings us to the second point. Our adoption is set in His will. Look again at Ephesians 1 verse 5. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. According to the purpose of His will. Turn with me to John 1, which I think does a fantastic job of dealing with this idea of God's will in our adoption. This is a passage that you've heard before. You've heard me quote before. John 1, verses 9 through 13, says this, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, he, Jesus, came to his own, his people, and his own people did not receive him. But... To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. For the believers, I think it's good for us to read this second part, this second part of this verse as a reminder that we are given the right to become children of God, not of blood, meaning not, not just because you were simply born into a Christian family, not of the will of flesh or the will of man, not because we're even able to, in our fallen state, come to some understanding of God. Well, I have Decided because I am smart and I finally was able to raise myself from being dead in my trespasses. None of those things. But we have become His because of the will of God. It's totally the will of God, not our own, that we have become children of God. The purpose of God concerning the salvation of man is tied up completely in, in His divine counsel. Our, our adoption, the fact that we have been given the right to become the child of God is according to the purpose of His will, like we read in Ephesians 1. And this idea of purpose according, according to the purpose of His will is probably better translated according to His good pleasure. I think the New American Standard has the right of it by translating it according to the kind intention of His will. Much of what has been written and said about God's will, as you hear this a lot, and particularly in a lot of contemporary Christian literature, this idea of understanding God's will for our life and how to, how can we know God's will for our life and all this kind of different stuff. I think for Christians, the best possible thing that they can do is just simply turn to the Scriptures in order to find out what God's will is for our life. And we find it out right here. What is the will of God to choose us in Christ from the foundations of the earth and to predestine us for the adoption of sons as in or in Jesus Christ? 
That is his will for our lives. What else do we need to know? I realize that the questions concerning his will oftentimes deal with more immediate things like where am I going to be this time next year or what should I do about a job or a partner or all these other things that compared to our salvation are completely mundane. Because I know that my salvation is according to the good pleasure of the Creator God, according to the kind intentions of the Lord, it should completely orient the way that I see all other things in life and the important things of the world, all these things that I think are more important. Because the God of the universe who adopted me as one of his says it brings me great delight that you are my child. This is my will that you are mine. God doesn't simply have a people for himself because he is compelled to do so by his own design, but it delights him to save the souls of the lost, to adopt sons and daughters in Christ Jesus, his only begotten son. Second Peter chapter three, verse nine is often used as a rebuttal against the doctrine that we've been establishing here that says God doesn't wish that any should perish in their sins, that all should come to repentance. Obviously, it doesn't mean that every person that has ever lived is going to be saved because we know that that hasn't happened. But it means that all those whom he has called, it delights him to save each and every one of them, to adopt them as his own, to give them a right to be called a son, or a daughter of God. And so then what does God deserve because of this? Well, he deserves our forever praise and our gratitude. And that brings us to the final point. Our adoption demands our praise. Look with me again at verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. We come to this idea that we praise God for the grace that he has given us and the grace that he has afforded us. In this case, that grace is to be called children of God. Our lives should be a constant reminder of what we have in Christ. We should be living, walking reminders of his glorious grace. When people look at us, they should see the very name of God. We are his namesake now, and that should never leave our lips. It should never leave our thoughts. And consider a family that has adopted adopted a child, and you understand them. You've been around them. And as that child has grown up, and and they learn that, that this happened, they learn that they were adopted, what should their attitude be? What is their attitude so many times that they are very thankful? How couldn't you be? It's not as if the adopted family was somehow forced to take on extra mouths to feed or extra backs to put clothing on. They did so because of the love of the Lord, because they loved those children so much, even before oftentimes those kids knew that they were being loved. In so many, so many situations, they took all their faults, all their history, all their insecurity, they took on all the baggage that they, that they had because for being a foster kid or, or whatever was going on, being abandoned by their natural parents, all of that, the adopted parents took that on 
and they love them anyway. Knowing that there may be difficult times ahead. Knowing that it would be difficult. And imagine being that child and understanding that fully. You would only be left to understand, wow, what kind of love is this? The question for us, church, is that have we come to that point in our walks with Jesus? Or we can look upon the mercy and the grace of our God and the adoption that we have in Him and wonder, wow, how is this even possible? The blessings that we have as joint heirs with Jesus are great, but that greatest blessing is just being His. The greatest blessing that we have is to be called a son or a daughter of our Creator, of our Lord Most High. I think oftentimes it's so easy to get lost in the concerns of this world, the day-to-day, and we forget that at some point we were purchased with a very high price. The price is the very blood of our Lord Jesus, the only begotten Son, the true-born Son of God, that we have been purchased to be made children of God. We are very similar to that kid who hasn't quite adjusted to calling his new parents, mom and dad. Because we're afraid. So many times in our Christian lives, we don't want to believe that the only true God will only ever grow us and sanctify us and bless us and keep us and ultimately deliver us for all time. Brothers and sisters, the call then is for us to draw close to our Heavenly Father. There's no barriers. Jesus has completely taken them away. There's no obstacle. There's nothing else but our own minds and our own hearts that stand in the way. Embrace Him as Father through the adoption that we have already in Jesus Christ our Lord. And it's according to the pleasure of His will that He has done so. If you're here this morning and you're an unbeliever, Understand that you too can be a part of this family that we're talking about. Just call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. Repent. Turn from your sins. Believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and you can be saved. The only one who can deliver you from the death that you are owed is Jesus. Call upon His name and be saved. For us in the church, let us be quick to lift high the name of Jesus because it's through Him that we have been given the right to be called children of God. Let's go to Him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, as we read these words, as we understand the truth therein, even as much as we can understand as Your children, We pray, Lord, that you would help us to draw near, to not be afraid to use those terms, to not be afraid to call upon the Father, Lord, to understand of the blessings that we have in this great family. Lord, we pray that we would be blessings to one another as well, that we would understand and be grateful for the things that we have and that we would teach one another and remind one another 
when the world seems to be caving in on us, that we would be reminded that we are a child of the Most High. We pray this in Jesus' name.